0: Welcome to this week's edition of Island Recast. For more information on Grand Memorial Presbyterian Church or Pastor David, please go to gmpc.org. Wonderful words of life that Jesus speaks to us, that he loves us and he cares for us, and that we're called to be his children and to be his people and be the body of Christ together. What a wonderful, wonderful song. Thank you. So there's a story of three little boys. Uh, I know, it probably sounds like I'm telling a story about my three little boys, but it's not, right? It's three other little boys. Um, and you may have heard the story, but these three little boys, are, they're, they find themselves in a massive argument with each other. And they find that there's two on one side of the argument and one on the other. And the poor little guy that's all by himself, he's probably half the size of the other two. And they're going at it. Twenty minutes goes by, and... Neither of them are being convinced and persuaded. And the little one says, thinks in his mind, he goes, I got it. So he draws a line in the sand. And he looks at the two bigger guys and he goes, you know what? I dare you to cross over that line and to come to this side. And the two older ones, the bigger guys are like, oh, this is nothing. What's this little tyke going to do? So they cross over, they're like, ha, now what? And the little one goes, I knew I'd get you on my side of the argument. Wouldn't it be nice if all conflict was that easy? You just outsmart them and draw a little line, say, come on over. Just come over to my side. It's not that easy. Conflict is not something most people actually enjoy. And tension makes us all uncomfortable for the most part. Some of us may shy away from it, and some of us are more comfortable in it, and that's okay. And what we learn is that our experiences make up who we are. They help shape the way we think about the world. They challenge our values, or they change our values, and they influence them. And we all share difference of opinions. And that's okay. It's the challenge when we meet someone that we want to persuade them to our side. We, because we think that our way of seeing the world is the best way to see it. And, that, and my way of... We could say this. My idea of how I'm going to vote is going to work. And everyone should mirror my voting ballot, right? Because I think I've got it figured out. And I'm going to convince and persuade everyone to join me. The challenge is, diversity is okay. It's a good thing in the church to be diverse. And to have differing opinions about the non-essentials. Like, How we worship together. Is it okay that we have a guitar? Absolutely. Is it okay in the first service? We've got an organ. The churches have been split over worship for centuries. It's been a divisive issue. But as we learned last Sunday, it's a non-essential. And if everyone would just think like me, this world would be really a good place to be. If we all shared my opinion on everything, right? The Lakers are the best basketball team. The Steelers are the best football team. We'd all get along. It'd be a wonderful thing. But those are peripherals. Those aren't the essentials. And as all of you are experts in the context of Romans now, because we've been in Romans for Several months. I actually didn't think that we were going to finish it this year. I was expecting us to go into 2021, into Romans. But we're seriously rounding the corner in Romans. And up until this point, in chapter 14, Paul's letter to the church in Rome, we know that there's a context of Gentile Christians, and we know that he's writing to Jewish Christians. And leading up to this point, he's addressed Them as strong and weak. And the conversation that they're having with one another echoes words of judgment and maybe even a position of moral authority over another. And Paul is saying, stop. Stop bickering about the meat. Whether it's okay to eat it. Stop bickering and arguing about whether it's okay to drink wine or not. Stop bickering and arguing about the Jewish holy days and whether we should celebrate them and one day is holier than the other. Because those are non-essentials. He goes as far to say in chapter 14, he says, do not by your eating or drinking destroy your brother or sister who Christ died for. Putting it all in context, that Christ Died for the church, and if you 've got your Bible with you and encourage you and I'd invite you to open to Romans chapter 15 we 're going to read verses one through six together. Hear the word of our Lord: We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Each of us should. Please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And may God, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement, give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and one mouth or one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He continues this concept, this idea in chapter 15 about building up our brothers and sisters in Christ. And in this scenario... We can easily imagine that the Gentile Christians are enjoying their liberty and their freedom in Christ, and they're enjoying meats and wines, and they're not celebrating the holy days, but their brothers and sisters, the Jewish Christians, they're holding to the law because it it points them to Jesus. They're certainly not seeing it as a, a means of forgiveness and grace, but they're using the law to draw themselves closer into a relationship with Jesus. And one group is looking at the other saying, you don't need to do that. Let's live free. Why are you living restricted like that? And Paul is simply saying, stop judging one another. And it's not a new concept because in chapter 14, he drives this point home over and over again. In verse, in verse 15, he says, he says, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. What an indictment that we're not acting in love for one another. And in 19, he says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification, building one one another up rather than tearing each other down. Because we build each other up for the glory of God with one heart and one voice. And then he drives it home again in verse 21 in chapter 14. says, It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that might cause your brother or sister to fall. What does he mean? What does he mean when he says to bear with the failings of the weak? He he can't certainly mean just to put up with or to tolerate because that doesn't seem to embody the Christ-like model that he's holding up. If we look at other letters that Paul has written, we see this same kind of bearing with one another in Galatians because he's not asking them to put up with each other because how gracious is that? Oh, I'm just going to put up and tolerate with you. The word to bear with one another carries the same weight that it does in Galatians chapter 6 where Paul says to the believers, bear with one another each other's burdens and so to fulfill the law of Christ. That to bear with one another the burdens means that I'm going to come alongside of you and walk with you and carry this with you and pray with you. And remind you that you're not alone because God is here with us and supporting and encouraging one another. Rather than putting each other down, it's so easy to, just the slip of the tongue, to make an offhanded comment. Paul is challenging us to use our liberty to build one another up and even to sacrifice our liberty for those who are not quite mature and ready yet. Here's the challenge behind a passage like this. Oftentimes we take this passage or a passage similar to this and we try to apply it to the outside world, right? You're to to hold to these standards. But I want to make it very clear. Paul is not addressing the world. He's talking to the believers, the family of faith. Those of us who call Christ our Savior and Lord And cling to him for the truth. He's calling the strong and mature believers to actively and lovingly assume a burden that someone who is struggling cannot carry at this moment. For they will model exactly what he points us to. To Jesus. And they can't then seek to please themselves but their neighbor, hoping to build up their fellow believer in Christ. Because isn't that what Jesus does for us? When the strong act this way and they build up and they humble themselves and they say, I'm going to come and walk with you and carry this burden with you. It gives that person value and worth and says, I'm loved and cared for exactly the way Jesus carries our burdens for us. He says, Take my yoke for it is light. Walk with me and I'll show you how life is, what life is supposed to look like with joy and celebration of God's faithfulness in our lives. Christ, as powerful as Christ is today and tomorrow and forever, he could have easily been on the cross and been told, if you're really God, save yourself. And he could have called angels down and had the authority to do so. But he humbled himself to take on our burdens, to take on our sin and our iniquity so that we might be built up and forgiven And been made righteous before the sight of God. This is how we are to live, Paul is saying to the Gentiles and to the Jewish Christians. And I hate to say it, he's saying that to us too. Actually, I'm glad to say it because it is time for the church to be different. It is time for us to be different and for the world to see a different lifestyle. A lifestyle which sacrifices ourselves for another. It is what Jesus has done. And Paul doesn't take the word of God lightly by any stretch of the imagination. He goes to the scriptures, the Old Testament, in Psalms to point to the Savior. In Psalm 69, we see a demonstration of, Christ's act of love and assuming our burden. And for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Because when we spend time in God's Word, when we take seriously the Word of God, as Paul is doing in this passage, transformation is inevitable. It starts with the heart, because God is concerned with the heart wants to give us a new heart, a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. It starts with one person, and then it spreads to another because they see the joy and the forgiveness that's afforded to them, and they go, I want that. I need that. And then two becomes four, and four becomes eight, and you're going to keep doing math, but I'm going to stop there. Families are transformed. Communities are transformed, nations are transformed because of the example that Christ set before us. And we know it because we take God's word seriously, like Paul does. And today we celebrate the Reformation. As some have said and called it a tragic necessity, but it starts because a man, Martin Luther, took the word of God seriously. And inevitably, his heart was transformed as he studied God's word. He said, he wrote, he wrote this, he says, At last, meditating day and night, by the mercy of God, I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that through which the righteous live by a gift of God, namely by faith. And here I felt as if I were entirely born again. Then I had entered paradise itself through the gates that had been flung wide open. He'd been studying and meditating on Romans chapter 1 and he struggled with the righteousness of God and those who live by faith are made righteous. And he's going, how does that work? They can't. How can those who live by faith be righteous? Because you can't make yourself righteous. And he agonized over this passage. And many of us are familiar with the Reformation narrative and the story of his life. But it's worth telling again and hearing it because on All Saints Eve in 1517, Luther publicly objects to the way a preacher, Tetzel, was selling indulgences because his heart was held captive to the word of God and an indulgence, we mo- most of us all know, was a document that you could purchase, sold by the church, bought by individuals for themselves or for a loved one who had passed. On behalf of them, you could purchase one. And that, that indulgence granted them a release from a punishment that was due because of sin. And there was this catchy little phrase that was sung And it goes like this Once the coin into the coffer clings, a soul from purgatory heavenward springs. Wow. And Luther questioned the sale of indulgences. And he called for a public debate. He was by now a professor at Wittenberg University. And in the call for public debate, he used what he knew to use it was a bulletin board, essentially. The door in Wittenberg Church, and he posts his 95 theses, and he's inviting conversation because the things that are essential are being confused with the non essential, and that grace is being hijacked by church leaders. And it's time for reform. It's time to correct the theology of the church. His heart was never to split the church. His heart was to reform it from the inside. It's one of the things I love about the Presbyterian reformed model. That it is not the, the clergy that hold all the power. and Nor is it the, the congregation, the lay leaders that hold all the power. It is both together in parody, walking side by side together, studying God's word, Old and New Testament, seeking the Holy Spirit's guidance for our community. And it is a wonderful thing to see that at work here in our own community, at Graham and in our Presbytery in San Diego. But he posts these 95 theses to enter into a conversation. And what happens spreads like wildfire because this new invention called the printing press makes it public. You think when you post something on Facebook, it goes wild. This was another thing. The issue was no longer indulgences, but it was the authority of the church. Did the Pope have the right, the authority to issue indulgences and offer forgiveness? And those were the questions that were being asked and the conversations that were being had. And you can see the struggle for power and authority within the church. And it's tearing it apart. And finally, in about 1521, Luther is called to an assembly, a council of worms in Germany. And he's thinking, all right, We're going to talk about these things, these issues, and we're going to reform the church from the inside. But lo and behold, it was not a debate. It was a trial. And he was called to recant, to put aside his essentials and compromise, and he was not willing to do so. He stood on his non-negotiables, and he said, unless I can be instructed and convinced with evidence, from the Holy Scriptures, or with an open mind and clear and distinct conscience, I cannot and will not recant, neither, because it is safe or wise to act against my conscience. And he concluded and he said, Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. And the cries of the Reformation take root And we hear the five solas. Glory to God alone, Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, and scripture alone are the essentials of the Reformation cry. And I don't know what your essentials are. Pastor David shared his, and I would encourage you and challenge you to begin to think if you haven't already thought about what your non-negotiables are. I particularly like these five. They look really good. That God is sovereign. That Christ alone is the one who redeems us. And it is by grace, not something I can earn. Because I'm a broken human being. And it is my faith alone and scripture alone that teaches me about Jesus and teaches me the character of God and reveals to me the truth that is before me. But that requires me to study the Old and New Testament as the very Word of God. Each generation was required to wrestle with the cultural messages and to identify and proclaim the truth that is essential. Even in the early church, they wrestled with it. They debated concerning Jesus, of all things, of all people. The deity of Christ. Was he fully God? Was he fully man? Did he only appear to be a man? Who was he? And we cling to the Nicene Creed because they claim the bishops gathered together and sought the word of God to identify and to know what the truth is about Jesus and that he is the very word of God. And he is the son of God, fully man and fully human. It's a hard thing when I think about the Old and New Testament together sometimes because often the Old Testament is neglected. It's hard to read. Lots of begats and begotten and and so-and-so's son and this and that and the other. I have a a respected teacher. He's an author, Old Testament professor, Walter Kaiser. He's an Old Testament guy, so he's... Anytime he can hear a message on the Old Testament, he gets excited and joyful. He tells a story in in, uh, one of his early chapters. He says, you know, when I go on vacation and I spend time worshiping with my other brothers and sisters in other communities, it's really a good joy and a beautiful thing to be together. But it seems like every time I go to worship, it's always a New Testament passage. And of course, the Old Testament scholar is thinking, well, why can't we... Preach out of the Old Testament a little bit more. And he makes a profound statement. He says, if we believe that this book, the Word of God, both Old and New Testament, is the very Word of God, are we neglecting more than 60% of God's Word? Because we're not and we don't know the Old Testament as Paul knew the Old Testament? So kind of a side challenge for you. If you haven't read the Word of God in the Old Testament and the New, come, I'll read it with you. We'll get a a reading group together. We'll just sit down and read because it is a beautiful thing for us. It is life for us. But what does all this have to do with essentials and non-essentials? What does this all have to do With this passage, as we look at Paul pointing to the word of God, he says that it teaches us. It teaches us. and And through endurance of the scriptures and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. The scriptures encourage and give us endurance so that we might see and cling to the hope that is before us when we see God at work in the Old Testament, in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when we see God at work in the kings and the prophets, when we see God at work miraculously, it reminds us that God is still at work today, now. And it is an encouragement for us. And it gives us hope. Our world today is Riddled with all sorts of arguments and debates about who to vote for and what proposition to vote yes and what proposition to vote no. And I'm seeing neighbors who are brothers and sisters in Christ post one sign one way and another sign another way, and they're neighbors. And I'm wondering what Paul's passage has for us this morning. Because I think it speaks to us in a mighty and profound way. Because it calls to question our hearts and our minds and our thoughts. What do we think about our neighbor who has a different opinion on a non-essential? Do we think highly of them? Do we speak good things about them in our minds? Or do we as I have done and guilty of, been, really? That's the sign we're going to put out? You see, Paul is calling us to being united around the essentials, the word of God that transforms our hearts, challenges our minds, and changes the words that we speak to one another. In the family of faith, There are issues that we can't talk, we have trouble talking about. And that shouldn't be the case in the church because grace should abound and love and compassion should abound in these conversations. And the world is looking in at the church and saying, You guys don't even know how to have a good conversation, a healthy one, and walk away loving one another in disagreement. You get angry at one another. And that's not the model that Christ has for us. So I don't know where you are in your heart and your mind as you prepare your ballot and your votes. And I encourage you, please vote if you haven't already done so. Vote your mind held captive to the Word of God because it is transforming, it's inevitable. But my challenge for you and my question for you is where is your heart when you see your brother and sister and can you offer grace? Can you walk alongside of them? Can you offer them mercy even when they disagree with whatever the issue is, whether it be a mask or whether it be worshiping in person, whether it be worshiping outside, whatever the issue is, can you and I heed Paul's challenge to build one another up? By the grace of God, we can. Thank you for listening to Island Recast. For more information, please go to gmpc.org. Thank you for worshiping with us. Thank you for helping us stay faithful to being good citizens in our community and wearing your masks. And I know for some of us, it's the most ungodly thing in the world and for some it's a piece of cake I think that's what Paul is talking about I think that's what Paul is calling us to do and to build one another up and in our youth ministry we have these street signs I did not steal them we actually bought them just FYI Um, (laughs) I did not steal them because that would be wrong Um, We have these five signs in our youth room, and now we have them where we're meeting um, outdoors and indoors. And each sign corresponds with a word. And the sign that I'm holding up is the word that that corresponds with the word ministry. We want our students to understand ministry in light of this image. To merge alongside of someone else. To come alongside of someone who is hurting and bear with one another the burdens. And it is a beautiful picture. And not only is it a beautiful picture because we're all thinking about ways in which we can come alongside of someone, but the reverse of that is true as well. There are days and seasons in life where we will need someone to come alongside of us. And so whenever you see this sign as you're driving, as most of you do, as most of you ride your bikes or wherever you're going, as you see this merging sign, I want it to be a stark reminder for you that Paul is calling us to come alongside of one another and build each other up, not tear each other down. And it is the Scriptures, Old and New Testament, as we meditate on them day and night, That transformation of our hearts is inevitable. And so let us go forth together, committing to walk alongside and to come alongside of each other, building each other up rather than tearing each other down. And with that, we're living in the kingdom of heaven here and now. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.